We want to talk about why I believe the Bible. And uh, in doing so, I will uh, I'll tell you right up front, I've got to give you the very, very abbreviated uh, uh, lesson concerning this. I, I told Bev earlier, I said, I'm going to really struggle tonight because as I go along, i got to figure out what to leave out as I'm going along in, in order to get through this. And uh, so there's a lot more that could be said than what I'm able to say tonight, but hopefully it'll work out for the best. Psalms 119, I want to read a couple of verses before we begin. Verse 151 says, Thou art near, O Lord, and all of thy commandments are truth. In the very next verse, he says, Concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old that thou hast founded them forever. You know, I believe that far too many times we assume that all churchgoers, and whenever I say that, I'm not just, you know, talking about this church, but churches in general, we assume that all churchgoers believe that the Bible is the Word of God, that it is the infallible Word of God. And the truth of it is there are a lot of people that do not believe the Bible is God's Word. That is, they might believe part of it. They might believe it in principle, but they do not believe it is the verbally inspired, infallible Word of God. And let me tell you, that is the very root of our problem today. Uh, Jesus said, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The psalmist said, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. And so that being true, then the most important decision we ever make is 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 whether we accept or reject the Bible as God's Word. Now, you know, I know we talk about, well, the most important decision is receiving Christ as your Savior. Well, indeed, but you won't do that until, first of all, you accept the Bible as the Word of God because it's the Word of God that gives us the gospel and relates to us how we can have a relationship with God, you see. And so, again, I say the most important decision that we ever make is whether or not we're willing to accept the Bible as God's Word. Imagine where we would be without the Bible. Now, think about that for a little while. Where would we be without the Bible? If we reject the Bible as God's Word, we are left in a world without any sure principles whatsoever and without any standard of right and wrong. I mean, how are we going to decide what is right and wrong if we don't have a sure standard? And so whenever we ignore the Bible, it's kind of, you know, every man doing that which is right in his own eyes. And by the way, isn't that the way most people live today? They just whatever whatever they think is right. And the amazing thing is, and it's not just amazing, it's so irritating, is you can take some professional athlete or an entertainer, Hollywood is filled with people like this, that they might only be 24 or 25 years old, but they're popular, making millions of dollars, 
and they have fans all across America, and they speak as though they are the final authority, you know, in regards to politics, religion, or anything else. And, and you know, I, I just notice in regards to all of these protests that the young people are having in concerning guns and control, and, and uh, naturally some of these Hollywood elite, they jump on that bandwagon and do something to show their support for them. What difference does that make? I, I, I mean, you know, right is right and wrong is wrong regardless of who says they're for it, you see, or against it. So being admonished to give an answer to every man that asketh the reason of the hope that is within us, I think all of us are responsible to be able to set forth the reasons as to why we believe the Bible is the Word of God. And that's the purpose in this message tonight. And I want to give you eight reasons why I believe the Bible is the infallible, inspired Word of God. First of all, I'm going to appeal to the highest authority by saying I believe the Bible is the Word of God because of the manner in which Christ spoke of it. You know, the Bible claims to be the Word of God over 2,500 times in the Old Testament and 500 plus times in the New Testament. So there's no doubt whatsoever about what the Bible claims to be. The question is, do we have any evidence that its claims are true? And I say we do. Because Jesus Christ, the only perfect man who ever lived, declared that the Scriptures are the final authority. He said in John 10, 35, the Scriptures cannot be broken. So there, there's no appealing to a higher court or authority than that. Jesus Christ himself said that. He testified as to the Old Testament, Luke 24, verse 27. This is when he meets the two travelers en route to Emmaus. He engages in a conversation with them, and here's what it says. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all of the Scripture the things concerning himself. If you want to know what the theme of the Bible is, it's Jesus Christ. Amen? And, and so here, these two men cast down, worried, fretful, not knowing, you know, what to expect next. The Lord reveals himself to them and expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then, now naturally I'm sure you realize that at that time they only had the Old Testament, but that covered all of that. But then Christ himself testified that the Holy Spirit would give additional revelations. And this is where a lot of people, and I, I don't want to get way off into this, but a lot of folks have misunderstood John chapter number 16 and some verses there. But in chapter 14, verse 25, he says, These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. 
You know, a lot of times we talk about the Holy Spirit being our teacher, and certainly He is. But the Holy Spirit, in teaching us, uses the Word of God. It is the sword of the Spirit, the Bible says. And so He uses the Word of God, enlightens our mind, enables us to understand. So, you know, you can't take those verses there and, and in the sense that the Holy Spirit is going to give you revelations, you know, that are perhaps, you know, apart from what the Bible teaches. He's talking to the disciples. He's talking to those that he is going to use to write the New Testament. And he says the Holy Spirit's going to bring to your remembrance all of the things that I've told you because you can imagine what a chore it would be trying to remember everything the Lord said. Those fellows didn't take shorthand. They didn't have a recorder. You know, how are they going to retain all of this information? Uh, Because we have only a small part of all the things he ever said to them. And he says the Holy Spirit is going to reveal to you all of these things and throughout his life we're still talking about the testimony of christ and the fact that he affirmed the bible is the word of god because throughout his life he honored the word of god let me give you just a couple of illustrations when he went to illustrate truth he did so by making reference to the scriptures He referred back to the book of Jonah, for example, and he refers back to to the days of Noah and things like that. So if he wanted to illustrate truth, he just reached back there and took something from the Old Testament and used that to, to illustrate because that, you know, you can depend on what the Bible says. When he was tempted by Satan, he used the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, to put him to flight. You know, that's one of those sections of Scripture that I can't even hardly mention it without feeling I need to take 30 minutes and talk about that temptation. Uh, but but it's, it's such a great study because when you go back to the Garden of Eden and you find the fall of man and, and you look at those areas of temptation involved in that, you'll see that they were the same three areas that Christ was tempted in, and Christ reveals to us how we can overcome those temptations, and we do so by the Word of God, you see. Without the Word of God, we're going to be defeated when temptation comes knocking on the door. So I accept the Bible, and by the way, this would be absolutely the only the only evidence I would need. I mean, that's sufficient for me just based on what Christ says about the Scriptures convinces me the Bible is indeed the Word of God. I could just stop there and say, I rest my case. I need say no more. But I am going to say more because there are other things involved. Secondly, I believe the Bible is the Word of God because of its miraculous preservation. Whenever you stop and think about you know, the Bible and all through these centuries, how it has been hated, it's been despised, and men have tried to destroy it, and yet it still exists today. I, I challenge you to find any other publication that can make a claim like that. You, you know, in, in trying to save time, I, sometimes, you know, I, I, I skip over some things that I'd, I'd like to say, and and, and I, I want to read a poem tonight, and I, I know that everybody here that's been in church a long time or you're over 50 or something, you've heard it before, but as I was sitting in my recliner this afternoon and thinking about the message tonight, 
I thought to myself, you know, it just might be some young people here that have never heard this little poem that speaks about this matter of preservation. It says, Last eve I paused beside a blacksmith door and heard the anvil ring and the vespers chime. Then looking in, I saw upon the floor old hammers worn with beating years of time. How many anvils have you had, said I, to wear and batter all of these hammers so? Just one, said he, and then with twinkling eye, the anvil wears the hammers out, you know. And so I thought the anvil of God's word for ages skeptics' blows have beat upon, and yet though the noise of falling blows was heard, the anvil is unharmed and the hammers are gone. Wow, that is so true. Let me give you some examples. The French infidel Voltaire uh, said uh, back in his day, he said, in a century the Bible will be unknown. And yet that very house, his house, became later on after his death a depository for where the Bibles were stacked to the ceiling in nearly every room. Thomas Paine said, Fifty years hence and this book will be obsolete and forgotten. And the very printing press that he used to print his material on was later used to print Bibles on. He's gone. The Bible still stands. Lenin boasted, I expect to live long enough to attend the funeral of all religion. The Communist Dictionary describes the Bible like this, a collection of fantastic legends without any scientific support. And of course, all of those years, you couldn't purchase a copy of the Bible there, but in the same Soviet state publishing house, later they printed they printed uh, 100,000 copies of the Old Testament, and within a few matters of, of minutes, they were all gone, sold out. The people were hungering for that. Lenin is dead. The Bible lives on. Robert Ingersoll determined that the, he was going to destroy the credibility of the Bible and went all over the country giving a series of lectures entitled The Mistakes of Moses. And after his death, later on, a Bible teacher used his very desk to write hundreds of Bible lessons upon it. David Hume, an infidel philosopher, said, Methinks I see the twilight of Christianity. And yet after the first meeting for the reformation of the Auxiliary Society of Edinburgh, uh, they held their meeting in the very same room where he died. Now, I, we could go on and on with that, I, I, and, and, and I, I hope you don't take, think I'm taking too much time in giving those quotations, but I just want you to understand the attitude of the world, uh, the animosity of the world against the Bible, and yet here it is. Just like Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. I read many years ago a quote by a fellow that, by the name of Fred John Maldew, 
And he said, man has attacked it with fire, sword, pen, spade, test tube, and microscope. He has examined its claims minutely in the light of all positively ascertained facts of science, archaeology, history, morality, and every other branch of human learning. And instead of overthrowing the Bible, he has revealed how firmly it is established in the councils of infinite wisdom. I submit to you this fact, that only truth can run the gauntlet of the fiercest hatred and antagonism, satanic spleen, weapons of intellect and government, and, and wealth and fires that have raged intensely for the past 19 centuries, and more to come forth, unscathed from the flame, as did the, uh, the Hebrew young men of old. Uh, and he says, the reason for the miraculous escape is the same in both cases. The God of heaven, who is ever on the side of righteousness and truth, has simply protected his own. Well, I don't know how you could say it any better than that. I'm telling you that uh, it has been preserved all through these centuries. Number three, I believe the Bible is the Word of God because of the multitude of fulfilled prophecies. And this is one of those areas where, as I said, I've got to give you a condensed version uh, tonight and because there is so much that could be said about this but I, I'm, I'll sum it up the best I can uh, to, to just give you the bottom line it's, it's this and that is the Bible has pre-recorded the history of the Jews of Jesus Christ of the church and basically the world you see, the Bible has given us all of that information and literally thousands and thousands of prophecies could be presented as evidence of that. Just think about during the life of Christ here on earth. During that time, there were over 300 prophecies fulfilled. And we spend a lot of time, but... For example, where it talks about the seed of the woman and the seed of Abraham. He would be from the tribe of Judah, the place of his birth, the time of his birth, born of a virgin, the infants were massacred, uh, rejected by the Jews, the triumphal entry, sold for 30 pieces of silver, crucified with sinners, wounded and bruised, hands and feet pierced, given gall and vinegar, lots cast for his garment, no bones broken, side to be pierced, forsaken by his friends, buried in a rich man's tomb, resurrected. I mean, that's just some of them, you see. Uh, a, a California mathematician by the name of Peter Stoner uh, assigned each one of his class members a particular messianic prophecy for study. He took 48 messianic prophecies for this purpose, and they were trying to determine the statistical chance that these particular events could have been predicted without supernatural inspiration. So after the study was over, the resultant probability was one chance out of a number that could be written as one followed by 181 zeros. Now, now you, you think about that, and, and, you know, when I first read that years and years and years ago, I thought, well, you know, I, I, don't, I, don't, even know how to, I don't even know how to think about how much that is. And, and he knew we would have problems with that. So being the mathematician that he, that he was, he decided to help us to, to understand it. And here's what he said, quote, 
To realize the significance of this tremendous number, visualize a huge ball composed of solidly packed electrons. There are approximately uh, two and a half million billion electrons in a line one inch long. The largest thing we know about is our physical universe, some four billion light years in diameter. A light year being the distance that light travels in a year, moving at the speed of 186,000 feet per second, miles per second. Consider a ball of electrons 500 quadrillion times larger than the diameter of our universe. Mark one of the electrons, stir the entire mass until, the, until it's mixed thoroughly, and a blind man would have about the same odds of finding the marked electron. Now, I, just, I don't know about you, but that leaves my head spinning. And, and, and the same thing happens when somebody comes along and tries to tell me, well, you don't have any evidence that the Bible is really the Word of God. It's how could you be so, well, you know, I, I, I don't want to be crude and, and embarrass anybody here tonight, and I hope we don't have any unbelievers here tonight. Uh, in fact, I wish we did. But, uh, but the fact of the matter is, how foolish could you be as to say there is no evidence, you see? And then in addition to all of this, and we could go on and on with that line of thought, there are many explicit verbal prophecies throughout the Bible. And, and then we get into the types of Christ, for example, and things like that. And, and so again, I say we'd have to be a fool to believe that all of these things just happen by chance. I say God did it. Amen. Number four, the fourth reason that I believe the Bible is the Word of God is because of the matter that it contains. You know, there are some books that contain some truth. I'm talking about truth that you could find in the Bible. But the Bible contains nothing but the truth. And let me tell you, all of the vast libraries in all of the world could not contain as much truth as you find in the Word of God. Uh, the late Harry Rimmer, the past president of the Science Research Bureau, said, The Bible is not a book of science, but it is a scientific book. When the Bible does speak on a question of science, it speaks with the same absolute infallibility it possesses when it speaks on history or faith. I have searched the Bible from beginning to end for scientific error and have found none. No, and if he lived 10 million years, he would never find one. And so when we look at the matter that it contains, we have to look at several different areas. For example... It is archaeologically correct. Over 5,000 places mentioned in the Bible. Think about that. Over 5,000 places mentioned in the Bible have been definitely located. And in every instance, the spade has brought to light the discoveries to substantiate the Bible record. The great archaeologist uh, 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 Kevin Mile uh, said... There has never been anything found that discredits statements of fact in the Bible. Almost entire list of names, places, and events of the Bible have been collaborated by the finding of archaeology. And Sir William Ramsey said, he's the famous Oxford scholar, was, he said, the longer I study the New Testament, the more convinced I become 
of its absolute trustworthiness. Christianity is the religion of truth. It is founded on truth, absolute and perfect truth. So it's archaeologically correct, but it's also astronomically correct. Uh, uh, Hipparchus, uh, however, you, however you say the great Greek astronomer, uh, however you pronounce his name, he, he lived a few hundred years after the prophet Jeremiah. And I want you to listen to what he said back then. He said, there are only 1,056 stars in the heavens. I have counted them. (laughs) Now, over the years, that has been revised many times, and now the astronomers estimate that there are at least 100 billion stars. And, you know, we could have saved a lot of time if we would have just turned in the Bible to Jeremiah 33, 22. It says, the host of heaven cannot be numbered. Somebody posted a thing on Facebook this week, and it was a little, and it was really interesting. I've got to say that, and it was talking about it was talking about uh, some new technology that supposedly gives us a better idea on the size of the universe. And it was uh, it was just mind-boggling. And the longer it went, it was like, you know, you don't need to say any more than that. It's bigger than anything that we can imagine, and, and that's what the Lord is saying that that the host of heaven cannot be numbered. Not only that, but the astronomers have photographed millions of stars, and they found this. No two stars are alike. Well, there again, if they had just picked up their Bible and turned to 1 Corinthians 15, 41, it says one star differeth from another. There you have it right there. The Bible told, told us, you know, they're all different. Modern astronomy declared that uh, declares that light is vocal. Light, think about it. Light makes a noise. It, the vibration creates a singing sound. And the Bible says in Job 38, verse number 7, the morning stars sang together. Think about that. Astronomers recently discovered that there's a hole in the northern part of the universe where there are no stars. You've probably read about that, Right? The Bible says he stretches out the north over the empty place. How'd they know that? They didn't have any telescopes or anything like that back then. I mean, none of the modern day technology. But the Spirit of God spoke to the heart of man and says he has stretched out the north over the empty place. For centuries, man believed that the earth was flat. In fact, today there is a flat earth society, people that still believe and argue that the earth is flat. The Bible, though, speaks about the circle of the earth. Ancient people believed that the earth was held in place by a support, you know, something holding it up. Their mind can't just dangle out there in space, you know, something's got to be holding it up. The Bible says in Job 26, 7 that he hangeth the earth upon nothing. Amen. The scientists taught that the moon, this is many years ago, the moon was larger than the sun. They said so. Can you imagine that? Well, the Bible says he made the greater light to rule by day and the lesser light to rule by night. And the same scientists said that the moon produced... Uh, Uh, produced light but the bible says behold the moon it shineth not it reflects it doesn't shine for centuries 
the saying, four corners of the earth was ridiculed. All that, all that old book of myths that you people call the Word of God, it, it can't be true because there's not four corners to the earth, but no longer because now, now the satellites have measured, the space age satellites have measured and demonstrated that it's true, that, that the satellites are pulled downward at the center by four high points called corners by unexpected high gravity. So it's astronomically correct, it's archaeologically correct, it is medically correct also. 1628, Dr. William Harvey, he's the fellow that discovered the circulation of blood. Solomon knew about that, though, way back in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12 and verse number 6. Some of you might remember that George Washington, you know, was whenever... Uh, whenever he was sick, they extracted blood from him three times. They called it bloodletting, and so uh, they were. They had the idea that this was some way going to restore his health. And the fact of the matter is, he needed blood, more blood, not less blood. You see, the Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. Modern science says that mental health depends upon. Now, get this. This is the secular world saying that mental health depends upon temperance, freedom from worry, and contentment in occupation. The Bible teaches that we're to be temperate in all things, free from worry and diligent in business. In other words, the very conclusions they have drawn are principles that have been taught in the Word of God. And even way before, you know, the scientists finally understood the importance of rest, getting, you know, a good night's sleep and what have you, and now they realize all of the problems that can be uh, caused by not getting enough sleep. And the Bible told us, you know, about the need for rest one day out of seven many years ago. Uh, well, I could speak about leprosy and how, you know, the basic method that was described by, by Moses was later discovered, you know, to, to be the most helpful thing. Uh, the chemist said that the universe is composed of 118 chemical elements. The dust consists of 16 of these elements, all which make up our body, but it was God who first told us that man was formed from the dust of the ground. Let me, let me give you a couple more things and I'll, I'll move on to point number five. It is meteorologically correct. Um, Back before the so-called scientists of the day and the philosophers and what have you discovered that air had weight, God said that he made weight for the winds. And then it's only been in what, you know, looking at the whole of things, we would call recent years, I guess, the mysteries of rain, water, the, the currents and evaporation and what have you. And the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 1, 7, all rivers run into the sea, and yet the sea is not full under the places from whence the rivers come till they return again. He bindeth up the waters in his thick clouds. And so, you know, the Bible has a great deal to say about these things that we have been confused about for many years. Add to that the fact that it's chronologically correct. I mean, there's absolutely no conflict between true science and the Bible concerning places and, and, uh, and events and things of that nature. It is proven it's correct. 
Number five, I believe the Bible is the Word of God because the marvel of its unity. Think about it, 66 books in the Bible. It was written by more than 40 authors over a span of 1,500 years in three different countries and three different languages. And the authors are people like you've got tax collectors and fishermen and physicians and so forth, many people that, you know, are totally different, writing under different circumstances. And in spite of all of that, they come up with something that has absolute unity. You've heard people say, well, I, you know, I can't trust the Bible. It contradicts itself. No, it never contradicts itself, you see. I mean, if you'd read the, the whole of it, you'd see that, that, that it always complements itself in one way or another. Um, Charles Feinberg said, To what shall we compare it? It is though one man entered into a cathedral and struck a note on the great organ and left. Thirty-nine other men at different periods of history did the same. And if we were to gather these notes together, are we to suppose that there is a means of preservation which will make up the great work Handel's Messiah? Should we say it just happened? No. We would be justified in believing that some great mind had supervised it. Well, when I think about the unity of the Bible, I have to conclude this is something only God could have done. Number six, I believe the Bible is the Word of God because of the men who wrote it and the fact that they were impartial. You know, there's nothing more exciting in the world than the Word of God. It's a book of adventure. It describes battles and trials and victories and losses and and the you know the great things accomplished by the heroes of the faith and, and you know untold numbers of people have followed these folks with great admiration we think about the you know the lives of Moses or whoever it might be and how how inspiring they are you know had these men had these men written the Bible without any divine inspiration, let me tell you, they would have never exposed the faults and the failures of their favorite characters. In other words, they would have not done anything to tarnish their character. Uh, you know, say, I'm going, to, I'm going to write the account of Noah, for example. And boy, he's such a great man. He made such a great contribution to the world that he lived in. But I'm, I'm not going to mention the part about his failure. The same thing's true of Abraham, you see, and David and Solomon, you know. But the, let me tell you, the Bible tells the bad just as well as the good. It paints the picture of warts and all, you see, uh, because it's giving us the truth. Uh, there was a magazine article that said, quote, George Washington's portrait painters gave no hint that his face was deeply pitted by smallpox and his biographies made him so flawless that he ceased to be human. Contrast the Word of God which faithfully presents the pockmarks of sin, the evil as well as the good, in its greatest characters, the mighty David's sin of murder and adultery is laid bare. Abraham's subtle line is exposed and Peter's kindly denial is recorded did uninfluenced men write this? Psychologically impossible. The sheer truthfulness and ultra-human exactitude of Scripture proves that the Bible 
is God-given. Well, I've got to say amen to that, and I agree 100%. The men who wrote the Bible were impartial. They were not giving us their ideas and opinion. They were not inserting what they wanted and leaving out the certain parts that they didn't want to speak about. They wrote what God gave them. Number seven, number seven, I told you this is, you know, this is the condensed version. Number seven, I believe the Bible is the word of God because the matchless character of those who accept it. And we could, we could go all of the way through history talking about the great people that accept the Bible as the word of God. Clement of Rome, this was in in A.D. 90, he said the Scriptures are the true words of the Holy Spirit. Tertullian, one of the church so-called church fathers, said the Scriptures are the writings of God. Sir Isaac Newton said, If all of the great books of the world were given life and brought together in convention, the moment the Bible entered, the other books would fall on their faces as the gods of Felicia fell when the ark of God was brought into their presence in the temple of Dagon. Gladstone said, If I'm asked to name the one comfort in sorrow, the safe rule of conduct, the true guide of life, I must point to what in the words of a popular hymn is called the old, old story told in an old book, God's best and richest gift to mankind. Sir Walter Scott, when he was dying, said, Give me the book. Thomas Carlyle said, It's the finest bit of literature ever written. Daniel Webster, Only if we abide by the principles taught in the Bible will our country go on prospering. Andrew Jackson, The Bible is the rock upon which our republic rests. George Washington said it is impossible to rightly govern without the Bible. Uh, folks, I can go on and on and on with this, and I, I don't think I need to say any more about that. Uh, the, greatest, the greatest minds, the people with the highest morals and the greatest dedication to duty have been those who embrace the Bible as the Word of God. And none of, none of those people were perfect. Please don't misunderstand. But compare their character to the character of those who deny the Bible. And I'll tell you, you'll see a marked difference in a hurry. There's an absolute huge difference between the two. And i got to tell you, I prefer the company of those who accept the Bible as the Word of God. Amen. I'm going to stand with them. And, and I, I believe you should. Number eight, number eight, and I, I'm going to wrap this up tonight. And and I, you know, sometimes sometimes brevity is a blessing. It helps us, I think, to you know to re- remember things better than if we just labor on and on and on. And so that's the reason for it. And that's the mighty effect that it has upon people. There's no book ever written that has shaped the lives of good men so much as the Bible. And after all of these many years, the Bible remains as the bestseller. There's been nothing else in the world that has inspired so many people, that has transformed so many derelicts, that have comforted so many sad hearts. I'm telling you, it works. That's the point. It makes life brighter. It makes death easier. It makes everything better whenever we accept the Bible as the Word of God. You know, during times of trouble, where do we turn? To the Bible. 
And there have been multitudes of people on the very brink of despair. We could take hours reading the testimony of those, many of them, maybe thinking about suicide in a, in, in a hotel room at night and pick up a Gideon Bible and begin to read and suddenly they begin to realize there is something worth living for. And every time I read my Bible, it lifts my soul up above all of the sordid surroundings of this old world. It, you know, it settles my mind and gives me a peace that passes all understanding. It warms my cold heart and, you know, it just helps me to keep going onward and upward toward the God of the book. There's not anything else like it in all of the world. It, I love the way Hebrews 4 verse 12 talks about it, that it is alive. It's a living book. You can't say that about any other book that's ever been written. But the Bible is alive. It has the very life of God in it. And that's why I say so many times whenever I preach, it's not what I say about the Bible. It's what the Bible says that really matters. You know, we, we preachers, we can wax eloquent about, you know, about the Bible and so forth. But when it gets right down to it, just the quotation of the Bible, that's where the power is in what the Word itself says. Understand what a wonderful gift, what a wonderful weapon, what a wonderful comfort that you hold in your hand. Amen. And hide it in your heart. And it'll change your life and help you through the most difficult times you could ever imagine. Well, you know, we come to a time like this, and as we did this morning, and we, as I said at the very beginning, we often assume that everybody that's in the congregation believes the Bible is the Word of God. There are a lot of people that have never really thought about it. They really haven't. You know, they just assume, well, you know, it might be all right for you Christian people, but I, I'm, not, I'm not so sure. Well, you know, based on the deepest needs of your life and based on the testimony of the Bible, don't you think you ought to find out for certain whether it's the Word of God tonight? I've just tried to give you some intellectual ammunition, as it were, so you could wade through this subject and, and, and look at the logic behind the fact that why we believe the Bible is the Word of God. And I want to tell you, the first thing you need to settle whenever you finally decide, indeed, I see there is plenty of reason to believe the Bible is God's Word. You need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the good news. That's the gospel message. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And the Lord would save you tonight by you simply trusting in Him. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Have another one saved tonight? It, well, it could happen. It could really happen. I hope it does. Let's all stand. Tim's going to come. We're going to sing a verse of invitation tonight. And it might be that you're, you know, you're here and you're saved and you know you are. And uh, let, let, me, let me just leave this with you. I said in the beginning that the Bible says, Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh the reason of the hope that's within you. Don't look, don't just, don't just think about these things tonight and then dismiss them. 
And maybe you say, well, I took notes, and you've got it all written down, all eight things you've written down. Well, that's well and good, but it doesn't do any good if you don't put it to use. It might be somebody that you know, and they're wondering, where can I find the answers I need? Where can I get the assurance that the Bible is the Word of God? And it might be you could sit down in Denny's over a cup of coffee or somewhere and share with those people why you not why Brother Stone believes the Bible, why you believe the Bible is the Word of God. Let's sing together. 